Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John that you may believe, watching faith grow. The original date of this message was the 8th of January, 2023. Well, welcome once again to Rancho Baptist Church. I, I didn't say this earlier, but I'm Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here, and I have the privilege and also the great responsibility of bringing God's word to us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And we have been going through the, the gospel of John. And it has been so, so good. I, I pray that this has been an encouragement to you. Not only encouragement to you, but a challenge to you. And hopefully as we dig into God's word, you are, you are not only learning more about our Lord, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his love. But you are learning how to dig into God's word deeper and squeeze it dry. This week is, is similar. I, and I know this passage, taught this passage, come to it I don't know how many times, and yet there's some new things that the Lord just made so vividly real and challenging so I'm excited about opening God's word to us all this morning, and yet at the same time, it is a, a gravity that, that weighs upon me that I might faithfully handle the word of God, and that you might faithfully hear and apply the word of God. So turn with me to John chapter 4 as we wrap up John chapter 4 this morning. In this passage that is quite well known. And follow along as I read. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Let me pray for us in the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for you giving us your word. Lord, we are so easily distracted. We are so prideful thinking that we understand everything. We need your help. 
Lord, we don't want to live the same way we did last year in all that we do. We want to continue to grow. We want to mature. We, we want to see our faith increased. We want to make much of you in all that we do. We want to keep our focus gazed upon you no matter what comes, no matter what kind of trying circumstance may be weighing, burdening us. And in order to do that, Lord, we need to understand you. We need to understand ourselves. We need to know what faith is, what true faith is. As you declare in your word, Lord, so teach us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. Allow your Holy Spirit to to be our guide, to be the one who enlightens us, illuminates your word to us, Lord. Set me aside that you would take over and that you, by your power, would reach every heart that is here this morning listening to this message and that you would pinpoint it right to where they're at today. Encourage them, strengthen them, challenge them if they need to be challenged. All so that you might receive the glory and be honored. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, you'll notice by the sermon title, Watching Faith Grow, that's what we're going to see this morning. This shouldn't surprise us because throughout the Gospel of John, John makes a lot of emphasis on faith, a lot of emphasis on believing. Over and over and over again, he he goes to this word belief, pisteuo in the Greek. Some 100 times that verb is used. But I don't want us to think that when we think of faith that it's one-sided. That all that we see in the gospel of John is just one faith, and that's, that's the saving faith. Because what we see is the opposite. We see those who would say, oh no, I follow Jesus. I welcome Jesus. I'm a friend of Jesus. Jesus and I are tight. And yet the reality is that that is not the case because they are trusting in Jesus for all the wrong things. And they are making Jesus into their own image of who they believe Jesus is instead of who Jesus says and declares himself to be in Scripture. And even as we look, in fact, turn there with me to John chapter 20. And as we look at the purpose statement for why John wrote this gospel, we're we're given this other side of faith, this other road that, that you and I don't want to be on. This is not the faith that you want to be characterizing your life. This is not the faith that should be yours. That's what Jesus is going to plead today. So John chapter 20, instead of 30 to 31, let's start in 26. As we see that even among some of Jesus' disciples, after he'd risen from the dead and there was eyewitness accounts, there were some, or at least one for sure, that for him, seeing is believing. And he was mistaken. Because what we're going to see this morning is believing is seeing. Hearing is believing. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and, and Thomas with them. That's significant because he wasn't with them before when Jesus magically appeared through walls. 
Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he, then he said to Thomas, zeroes in on Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it in my side. And then listen to this, and do not be unbelieving but believing. Do not have false faith, fake faith, and think it's all about the miracles. Recognize it's me. And everything that I say, you believe. And you trust me, not my miracles. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, listen to this, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. I wonder that in this, he's actually pointing back to the man that we're going to see this morning. Because he is the epitome of one who did not see and yet believed. And we today, as you sit in your chair, as you listen, as I stand here, we are those who live our lives as those who what? Have not seen and yet believed. The question is, what is your faith made of? Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. We know later or earlier, he says, if they'd been written, there'd be no room in all the books in the world. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Why? Because there is life in no other name, eternal life, except for in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says name, it, it imbibes all of who he is. As revealed in Scripture, we don't have a blind faith. We have a faith based upon revealed knowledge in God's word. God's revelation to us, from Genesis to Revelation. And it all speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where I want to take us this morning. I want to take us to true faith, recognizing that there is another faith, that there is a counterfeit faith, there is a false faith, a fake faith. And if you find yourself in that faith, you're on the wrong side of faith. And you are going to have a major, major heart palpitation if, if our glorified bodies have hearts that will palpitate. Or you find yourself in judgment. Not having trusted and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you were believing in all the wrong things and the miracles instead of in who Jesus is. You were believing in all the emotions and, and your faith really is skin deep. I pray that that is not the case for you this morning. And that if it is, that the Lord, not me, I can't do this. That the Lord would use his word to drill down to your heart and reveal to you, oh man, I, I, I'm on that other side. I'm like these guys. I, I've made a, a, a Jesus of my own imagination. And I'm all into Jesus for the wrong reasons. This shouldn't come as a surprise to us where we go, where Jesus goes in these last verses of John chapter 4. 
showing us two sides of faith, one true saving faith, the other a false faith. No, we've already seen this in the Gospel of John. Do you remember John chapter 2? Turn there. John chapter 2, verses 23 to 24. We, we tend to only remember Jesus cleansing the temple, turning everything upside down, and showing his, his zeal for the Lord and his holiness. But that isn't all that happens when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, when he's in Judea. Yes, he does that, but then continues on. And, and if you'll remember, as Jesus does turn the temple upside down, what do they do? Verse 18, the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Why in the world are you doing them? And we're going to arrest you unless you give us a really good answer. And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they take him literal. They don't take him literally. They think he's talking about the temple itself, and he's actually talking about his body. He's pointing to the cross. He's pointing to how he will redeem sinners like you and me. He's letting them know right there and then, hey, don't get lost on all this miracle stuff. <laughs> Recognize that, that I'm using the miracles as a way to show you what true faith is and that you are in need of something much greater than what I can give you physically through a miracle. You're in need of redemption, being redeemed, being saved, salvation. And all of that then goes on. And look at verse 23, same chapter. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. Chapter 2, verse 23. Many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. That's all they're about. They're all about the emotion. They're all about the feeling. They're all about the excitement that happens. And maybe that's how you are with churches at some point. You're going from one to the next just hoping, hey, man, this one worked for me for a while, but, but now it's kind of dry. Maybe that's how your Bible reading is. So then you just close it up. The Lord would say no. If you want your faith to grow, then you keep going. You don't switch and fade depending on what your emotions are. You center everything on God's word and what he's revealed to us. Observing his signs, which he was doing, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. If you'll remember, we, I pointed out before as we went through this, this is the word for believe. It could have been translated, but Jesus on his part was not believing their belief. What he was saying is their belief is all wrong. They're on the wrong side of belief. And then that leads into where we were last week with this Samaritan woman and those in Samaria. Do you remember what it says about them? Do you remember what the telling trademark was about these Samaritans and what they believed and what didn't happen in Samaria? Look at chapter 4, verse 41. And all of this really is the context. And in order for us to understand the verses we're going to look at this morning, you have to put all of this together as one great big puzzle. And then it adds so much to what we're going to look at. Many more believed 
because of his word. And Papua New Guinea, we'd say, I'm Tessa. That's it. Because of that one thing, because of his word, that's all they needed. And then what do we see? We see Jesus leave them. That doesn't make sense. You know, he's got a good ministry going on. They're so excited about the word and what he's teaching that he's like, they're like, hey, stay with us some more days. And he only stays two days. And then what does he do? He, he comes up with this crazy game plan where he's going to head back home. And maybe he's like you. The last place you want to go is where you grew up, right? Because of all the memories, because of the people that you really don't want to see again, Right? And so what does Jesus do? He goes back home. He, he leaves a thriving, encouraging ministry to go where? To go home, as he's been saying all along, a prophet has no honor in his home country or hometown. Does Jesus know what he's walking into? Does he know what he's leaving? And does he know what he's receiving in return? You bet he does. How many of us would do what Jesus does? Oh, sure, yes. Yeah, sign me up so that my children all get sick this next year, worse than they have before. Sign me up for one of my children passing away before me. No, none of us would sign up for that. None of us would want that. But Jesus does. Why? Possibly just for this one man. I said before, we don't know. Maybe he went to Samaria and to that particular city just for that woman knowing what she would do to the entire town. Maybe he's coming here for this one man and the influence that this one man is going to have on Capernaum. And so what does Jesus do? He gives us these glimpses into faith, this understanding of what it looks like as faith grows but he starts off with what is false faith. And this is the kind of faith that you and I don't want. This, this is the faith that needs to be far from us. This is the faith that says, man, I'm coming, and you need to entertain me. This is the faith that says, hey, I, I watch American Idol, and, and I want you as my pastor to be like that. And I want God's word to be alive every time I come. And music, are you kidding? It's, gonna drink, it's just going to bring me to tears every time I, I come and I sit down on a Sunday morning. Pastor Shane, you better bring it. No, that, that, that is not saving faith. That is not growing faith. That, that leads you in a direction you don't want to go. And yet how many people are going there that are deceived by their own hearts? And Satan is just saying, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. So what we see first, sorry, I don't, I don't even know where I am with my, my own outline. False faith. There you are. Clearly this is a false faith, but doesn't this kind of seem wrong? So after the two days, so he's teaching in Samaria, he leaves Samaria and he goes to Cana, and it says that, you know, no prophet has any honor in his own country, and he gets to Cana. And when he gets there, what happens? 
these Galileans, okay, who are they? Those are like his people. This is who Jesus knows. These are his friends. Jesus is known as a Nazarene. Do you know where Nazareth is? For those of you who have been to Europe, or I mean to Israel, you know this. I have no idea. This is one of the things I stumbled on and went, oh my, are you kidding me? Do you know how close Cana is to Nazareth where Jesus grew up? Three miles. Three miles. That means that their interaction was much, much, much more than I ever would have imagined. No wonder why Jesus was invited to the wedding in Cana. They knew each other. You, you, I don't think you'd be over-exaggerating to say possibly everybody knew everybody in both of those towns. And so what do they do? They welcome Jesus, but think about it. This is the Jesus who what? Who they've known their whole lives. This is the Jesus who is God, who no doubt had to be different than any other little boy, even as a little baby, had to be different. And as he grew and got older, didn't they see it? Didn't they see, oh man, Jesus, he's, he's not just a good boy. He's, he's like way different. I, I never see him do anything wrong. But you don't see that. Instead, what you see is really nothing about the Galileans until Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Until Jesus turns the temple upside down. And that in itself, I don't think that they would have been so much in the rah-rah team of Jesus if that's all that he'd done. If all he did was go in there and turn that upside down, well, anybody can do that and look like they're really religious and holy. But Jesus, what does he do? He does miracles along with that during the Passover. And they see that. Notice, that's what it says. Having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem, they saw it with their own eyes. For them, seeing is believing. And for them, seeing is receiving. But is receiving believing? No, it's a far cry from it. It's actually rejecting him. That's really what they're doing. And that's what Jesus is, is trying to let us all know. What you're doing is you're rejecting me. Don't follow suit with all these others that are doing that. Stay true to my word. Eat my word up. Make my word that important to you. They missed it. Do you know that Jesus never just did a miracle? He always taught. Why? Because he was more interested in their soul than in just helping them physically. And yet after all the hoopla, what they really wanted to do was go to the next showing of the Jesus miracle show. That's what they all stood in line for. That's what they were all there for. And so when it says that they received him, don't misinterpret that. That's actually not a good thing. They missed him. So the first lesson for us on faith is this. Don't have a false faith based on what you see, what you want, and what makes you feel good. Have a true faith based on what Jesus says to be true. And that's what we see with this man. And notice, what we're going to see is a flicker of faith. It's not a huge mountain of faith yet. It's just a small little flicker of faith, but you can see it. And this is how faith works. This is how it begins. And this is what we see in first in verses 46 to 47. 
So Jesus comes to his hometown. And notice, this is where the miracle happened at the wedding, turning water into wine. People started talking about it, I'm sure, right away. And those in Canaan are like, Jesus? Are you kidding? But then it gets validated when he goes to Jerusalem. So it's significant that he mentions that. Why? Because it adds more to their whole perspective that Jesus is just a miracle man. And yet there's one that comes, and he is called a royal official. We don't know anything more about him except for that and that he has a very sick son. And this word, official, means nobleman. Many believe that he was in Herod's court, that he was a high official, that he was a man of power, prestige, and great wealth. This is all telling and very significant for following the storyline and understanding who this man is, especially when where were we last? We were at the village harlot in Samaria, a woman who you would think is far away much further out than God's grace could reach. And now we see, you know what? God's grace and Jesus' love extends to all, the rich and the poor, the near, the far. We don't know if he's a, a Gentile. I tend to think he is a Gentile. So all of this brings this man to Jesus. He, he no doubt heard what was happening. But being wealthy, he tried all sorts of different ways to get help for his son. And every other avenue ended up being zero. Nothing else worked. So he tries and he tries and he tries, and then he hears about Jesus. And unlike three miles away, he's from Capernaum, that's 16 miles away. And as soon as he hears that Jesus has landed in Galilee, he's gone. Notice he doesn't ask his servants to go with him. He doesn't say, hey, hon, can you go? And sends his wife. Now, this is a good example for us as fathers and husbands. This is how we should be involved in our homes. That we should be the leaders of our homes, that we should be serving our family, and that we should be compassionate and loving towards them and doing whatever we can to represent Christ. And he's doing that in this, showing great compassion, tenacity. But also on top of all that, what is he? He is desperate. We could say this is his last option. And so we see him imploring. That means to be constantly begging. Right when he got there, he wouldn't let Jesus alone. He wouldn't leave him alone. He's just asking him again and again and again, come, come, come. And notice it's come down. Our, our village in Papua New Guinea, they, they did the same thing. If I went up to the village, I had to say I went up to the village. And if I was heading down back to my house, I couldn't just say, hey, I'm going home. I had to put a location verbal marker on the go. I had to say I'm going down home or I'm going up to the village. If I didn't, I'd have six always correcting me. And that gets really old. Okay, Greek is the same way. It's giving us an understanding that, yes, he's going down, but what's oh so significant is that he thought in his mind's eye, hey, the only way somebody can do a miracle is if he's there. I don't know if he's going to do the mud thing or if he's going to touch him or what he's going to do, but he has to be there. He's limiting his understanding of how great Jesus is. Do you think he thought that Jesus actually had the, the power and the ability to raise his son from the dead if he died en route? Not even. Do you think that there's people that would be like, well, okay, if Jesus will heal my son, 
hey, I'll, I'll put aside all my other religious beliefs for this little five-minute time span, and I'll come to you, and you can pray for me, Pastor. Are you kidding? Lots of people would. We, we lived with a group in Papua New Guinea who wanted to add Jesus onto all the other animistic beliefs they had. That's called syncretism. Don't think that just because he's searching, searching out Jesus that that is showing us, oh, for sure he's saved. The only reason why I know that this is a flicker of true saving faith is because what happens next. That's where the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. You know what happens as he keeps going on. How about you? Where is your faith today? Do you end up taking Jesus and putting him in a little box and saying, yep, this is all you can do? My car breaks down, and so, yep, I, I just need to go to this mechanic. I don't stop. I don't ask you. I don't seek you out, Lord. My kids get sick, and what's my, my first run to? My, my first run to is, oh, go to this doctor or that doctor instead of coming to the Lord. D- don't we do that? Don't, don't we set aside and, and not look at Jesus only, okay, well, he's our last option, so then I'll go to him last. No, we need to look at Jesus as, yes, he's our last option because he's our first option and he's the greatest option. So this man's plea is what? It's desperate and it's heartfelt. And and it's one that all of us can relate with. Because at some point, if you have kids, they get sick. And at some point, if you have kids, something happens that you don't like that that happened. And so you're desperate. And that's what we see next happening. That as he continues on, that then his, his faith goes greater and greater. Look at what happens in the next verse. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Why, why does Jesus say that to him? He's pouring out his heart to Jesus. He seems to have faith in Jesus. And Jesus' response is, man, you're such a loser. Okay, that's a Jason euphemism for it, not my translation. But this, man, the first couple times I read this, I was, man, why does it keep saying that? Verse 44, now 48. Over and over again, Jesus keeps pushing this. You know, what's even crazier is as you dig into it, you find out that that you is not singular. He's not talking to just this man. He's talking to everyone that is there. All these thrill seekers, all these that are there not knowing what true faith is and what is Jesus doing, he's reaching out to all of them. So on the one hand, you could say he's, he's rebuking, and on the other hand, you could say he's extending grace, saying, please, see me as something more. Perhaps that's what the man hears. Perhaps that's what begins to change. And instead of giving him some crazy rebuke, what does this man do? He entrusts himself further to Jesus. As look at what the royal official says. As we go to a, from a flicker, flicker of faith to a flourishing of faith, It 
It's as if the royal official didn't hear him. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Come down before my child dies. We see that he's not only desperate, he's determined. He doesn't let anything get, off, get him off track. He's still going to, to pursue Jesus. You must come. You have to be there. And he actually kind of ramps up his urgency and his pleading. Notice the word that he uses to describe his son. Instead of calling him his son, he calls him his child. This is where if you do digging, you find out that that actually means my little one. This is a term of endearment. He's letting Jesus know that, 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 that he is so concerned for his son. He's full of compassion. And is our Lord full of compassion? You bet. Is our Lord full of grace? You bet. Is he just blurting out those things to be unkind and cold and heartless? No, he's trying to bring more into saving faith in him. That's what he's doing. That's what is being presented to us. And no doubt this man could have responded in all sorts of ways or even in his heart the way that I respond. If a loved one of mine has tried all sorts of avenues to get better and they continue to just not get better and 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 And you want to give up hope. And on the other side, you want to say, hey, can you take that from them and give it to me? And can we do this swap thing? Man, if I was sovereign, then I would. But I'm not. And so God says, no, you must trust me. And you must trust me for what I'm doing in their life and what I'm going to do through the, the both of you as you sit on me and trust me in this situation. I recognize that that doesn't make it any easier for whatever struggle you might find yourself going through right now. But it should be encouraging when we go to a verse like 1 Corinthians 10.13. Write that down if you don't have this verse memorized. 1 Corinthians 10.13. For no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is what? Common to man. Hey, I, I didn't say it. God said it. Do you recognize that whatever you're going through, that it's common to man? That, that doesn't mean that it's, not, that it's easy to go through, that it's not incredibly difficult, and that some of you are going through something horrendous right now, and I, and, and I recognize that. But what it means is that what is common to us is God's grace is overflowing to us in it. And that his response is always trustworthy in whatever we're going through. And so we can take all of our burdens and the cares that we have for those loved ones like this man had for his son. And we can entrust them to Jesus. And we can say, okay, whatever you say, I'm good with. And I'll trust you in this. Praise the Lord that this man went to the, went to the right place. That he went to the right person. And that God and his providential care over this man caused him to go to this king, this, go to Jesus. And it's so challenging when you see someone that has a, a faith like this. It's said of John Bunyan, the great Puritan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, that he had a faith like this. 
that when he was faced with difficulty, all he thought about was Jesus Christ and leaning on him. And this is what it says about him. I was driven to such straits that I must, of necessity, go to Jesus. Is that your attitude? Of necessity, I must go to Jesus. And if he had me with a drawn sword in his hand, I would sooner have thrown myself upon the edge of his sword than have gone away from him. For I know him to be my last hope. Is that what your heart's like as you consider this? And then look at Jesus' response. This is what's difficult for us all, right? Because this is the response we want for all of us in every situation. And this is where we want to be sovereign instead of God being sovereign. And instead of giving him a blank paper that says, whatever is your will, that's what I'm going to do and that's what I'm going to hold to and that's what I'm going with because I want to honor you. We give him a paper full of, hey, no more sickness to my kids. Don't let one of my kids die before me. Don't let my wife die before me. Don't let that, 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 and you write it all down. And then you just say, hey, Jesus, will you sign this? And the reality is he's much better at running our lives than we are, and we need to trust him. And so look at what he says. He hardly says anything. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. That's a command. He doesn't give an option. Hey, Go. Your son lives. Literally what it says is your son is living right now. And this verb that is used for living is in contrast to dying. So could it be that that with everything that was going on with this man's son, that as he was there, the reason why he was pleading with Jesus to come, come now, come down, we have to go see him. Man, I don't know that he actually still is alive. He was on his deathbed when I came to you. I'm desperate. And Jesus says, it's all good. Your son right now is living. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. Are you kidding me? In contrast to what we have seen, but in agreement with what we've seen in Samaria, they, take, they took Jesus at his word. This man takes Jesus at, at his word. Do you take Jesus at his word? Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. No matter what you go through, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with us. Do you believe that? Why did Jesus heal this man? What would your answer be? Would it be because he's full of grace? I would agree with you. Would it be because he's full of mercy? I would agree with that as well. Would it be because he is a compassionate, loving Savior who cries and bleeds for us? Yes. But if that's all that you think, then I think you're missing another great big aspect of Jesus' heart that all would be saved. That he's concerned with you and where you will spend all of eternity. And he's concerned with me and where I will spend all of eternity. He didn't want to do just a miracle alone. You see, miracles are used in order to build faith that you and I would trust him. And you're thinking, well, I haven't seen too many miracles. What about the miracle of salvation? That the things that you used to live for, you no longer live for. What about the the miracle, so to speak, of answered prayer? That you prayed for this and this and this, and, and, and by God's wonderful grace, after three years of praying, you got this. Notice Jesus doesn't go to Capernaum. Did you see that? He doesn't do everything the guy asks. 
going back again to everything we write down and say, hey, sign. Jesus says, no, I'm going to do it my way because I'm the sovereign one. You're not. And you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to build your faith. I'm going to use this to allow your faith to grow so that your faith might be like this man's faith, a flourishing faith. And where does that come from? Now, faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Is it your amount of faith? Is it your experience of faith that you're looking to? Or is it the object of your faith? We had a man in our, in our village in New Guinea who lost his wife, and he was just devastated. And he was coming to me day after day after day saying, build my faith. My faith is wavering. It's going all over the place like a cassowary bird. It never goes straight. It's just... And I said, the only way your faith can, can be built on anything and continue to grow is if you build your faith on this, the word of God. Don't listen to me. Go read the scriptures. Be encouraged with Jesus and all that he has done and how he is greater than death. But as this man starts his walk home, can't we look at it as as him beginning his walk of faith? I I wonder as he goes, if he starts thinking in his mind, notice he didn't question Jesus, I would have. Um, What do you mean by he's living? Do you mean like he's up? Do you mean like he's playing card games with my wife? Do you, do you mean like, you know, he's, he's back to running? Do you, do you mean he's eating right now? Or do you mean he, he just, he, he can get up a little bit, but then he's, he's back down and, and tired? Jesus doesn't give him any of that, and he doesn't respond like that. He just takes Jesus at his word and moves on. Is that a challenge to you? That is an extreme challenge to me. And that is one of the building blocks of faith that we would have that kind of attitude. Okay, Jesus, whatever you say, that is what I will do, and I will trust you. And then finally, we see this fourth. A firm faith. And this, again, is all God's grace, because he didn't know he's going to run into these guys. He didn't know about the timing. He didn't know anything. Except for Jesus said, go, and he went. That's how good our God is that he will go with us every step of the way, and he will meet us there, and he will grow our faith as we are trusting in him. And that's what we see in the last couple verses. As he was going, now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. Just think about that. It, it must reveal in some way just how sick this young man was, that just as he gets better, they're gone. Why? Because this man had been so worried about his son. And they didn't want to wait because, man, it might be a couple more weeks before he comes back from Cana. So they're on their way. But he's already on their way to them. And they meet each other. And then they don't mince any words. They just get right down to business. And they say, he's alive. And then what does he say? When did this happen? And I wonder if he actually already kind of knew because the word that they used for saying he's alive in the Greek is the same exact verbiage that Jesus uses to say your son is living. And maybe the man starts to figure it all out even more now, saying, are you kidding me? And he asks, and they say, seventh hour, which means 1 p.m. And he remembers, oh, man, I know exactly where I was at 1 p.m. in Cana. 
I was with that man who's no man at all. He's God. He's God's son. He's the Messiah. And then notice, and this is such a challenge, how quick are you to share Christ with your family? How quick are you to recount God's blessings to you with your family? Look at what this guy does. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household, not just the servants on the road. I'm thinking he couldn't wait to get back home. Not just to see his son and give him a great big hug and give his wife a great big hug, but to sit them all down and say, hey, I don't know what kind of story you've arranged in your mind as to how he got better, but let me tell you, it's not the medicine. It's not that the fever just ran its natural course. No, let me tell you, it was Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Nazarene, you know, the guy that we heard about. The guy who changed the water into wine, it's true. He is the Messiah. I have believed. Will you believe? And then his entire family is saved. Maybe he had some daughters and other sons in the mix. Isn't our God oh so good to us, to our families? It doesn't mean that our whole family will be saved, but it does mean that we should be sharing our faith with them and the blessings that God does. So, wrapping it up, let me ask you a question. Do you want to grow in your faith? In New Guinea, we'd have some nights where we'd get ten, over 10 inches of rain just that night. We'd go to bed, we'd have this cool little plastic rain gauge that had up to 10 inches in it. I'd empty it. Before I went to bed, I'd get up and it was overflowing. We're talking lots of rain. It would overflow the river. The river would come onto our airstrip and, and carry these 350-pound diesel drums out into the middle of nowhere. It would also fill up our nice 1,000-gallon water tank that we use for our water. But you know what would happen if we didn't get rain for two weeks? Only two weeks. Everything would start to dry up. The rocks would start to turn green with all this gross moss. The people would start to get sick from drinking the water that was now contaminated. And it would get lower and lower and slower and slower. And maybe for some of you, that is your faith. That your faith isn't stagnant, but it's very close to stagnant. It's just creeping along. How, how, how do you grow? What, what is needed? Exercise. Those opportunities that the Lord allows us to go through to exercise our faith. That's what happened with this man. Instead of always looking at these these hard times as, as something that you just have to jump through or get around or jump over, you look at them as an opportunity. Okay, Lord, I know this isn't going to be fun. I know this isn't going to be easy, but I so much want to grow in my faith with you that I'm going to hold your hand, and, and, and you might have to pick me up, but I'm going to walk with you in this, and I'm going to honor you. And as you do that, The Lord grows our faith, believing what he says to be true and all that he says to be true. Amen? How cool is our God that he would give us his word and give us these life stories of real people that we don't hear the end of their story and we can look at it and say, man, I wonder what happened with this guy. What did that son end up being? How did this official then share with Jesus after that point as, as God had placed him in his particular 
sphere of influence and how the Lord used it, and then bring that to us. What does God want to do as he's growing your faith? What does he want to do in your life, and how does he want to use you to impact the world all around us? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we stop and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it contains and clearly revealing to us what real, true, biblical, saving faith looks like. And it's all because of grace. If we have trusted in you, Jesus, we know that it's nothing that that we can boast in. Just as Ephesians says, we know it's all because of your grace. And we rejoice in you and your goodness to us, Lord. And we ask that you would continue to grow our faith. And Lord, I pray for any this morning who, as they search their own life and their own hearts, that perhaps they find themselves wanting, lacking, that they see in themselves a a different kind of faith, the false faith represented by those who only wanted to see a sign, a miracle, and only looked at you, Lord Jesus, as a miracle man instead of as their Savior. Lord, I pray that if that is the case, that you would grant them your wonderful gift of repentance and allow them to turn from their sin, recognizing that that they deserve hell and eternal punishment just like all of us do because of our sin. But because of you and what you did upon the cross and the shedding of your blood, that all those who believe in you would receive eternal life as a gift, Lord, the greatest gift ever. I pray that that would be the case this morning. And if that is the case, and if anybody does believe in you this morning for the first time, I pray that you would allow them to talk to one of us. Be with those that are watching us online and continue to allow this church, Rancho Baptist Church, to do all that we do for your glory, for your praise, that your gospel may continue to go forth and that you may build your church. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.